It's about to get real with the MTV original reality TV star OGs, John and Beth, as they chat with great guests to discuss reality TV, music, pop culture, and real world life. Pick up your phone and go to wherever you get your podcasts. Search for Getting Real with John and Beth. Turn it up. Getting Real starts now. So I just went to go see Tears for Fears. Do you like Tears for Fears? I love Tears for Fears. Shout, let it all out. It was so amazing. My husband didn't want to go. And then I was like begging my kids, you please go see Tears for Fears with me. They wouldn't go with me. So I got one of my girlfriends to go with me. And if if you've never been to the Hollywood Bowl, I highly recommend it because you never know who you're going to run into. I go to this Tears for Fears concert with my friends. Who did you see? So we're in box seats, right? And I'm having a great time. All of a sudden, I look over my shoulder and I see Julian Lennon. And I'm freaking out right now because, you know, I have a huge, huge crush on Julian Lennon. It's more of a stalking fascination. Well, no. And I and I really think that he knows that I have a crush on him. So it's really, really super awkward. So after the show, there is there's like a meet and greet with with the band. And so Roland is there and I'm trying to think of like, you know, I want to go up to him and say, oh, my gosh, I love your music and was so big in the 90s. And uh, right when I'm about to go up and talking to him, Julian Lennon goes up to him and asks him for a picture. And I ran the other way. But it was a great it was a great show. It was now you've show. met him before and he's aware of your your stalking. relationship. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. He knows I'm totally in love with him. And so, my husband knows. everybody he, knows it's terrible. Beth, I'm super excited, super excited about the episode today on getting real with John and Beth. This is a lifelong friend and going to be a tremendous, tremendous chat we're going to have with with Matt Kunitz. Tell everybody who Matt Kunitz is. He is one of the biggest names in television. He actually got his start working in 1993 on MTV's The Real World Los Angeles. And from this pivotal point, his career completely skyrocketed as he continued to just push boundaries of reality television. He took on new challenges, seeking just really innovative ways to create unforgettable moments on on screen. I mean, if you see any of his shows, I mean, he is the creator and executive producer of Fear Factor and Wipeout, just to name a few. And he is now the executive producer and showrunner for a new show called Deal or No Deal Island. And he's also our dear friend, Matt Kunitz. Welcome to Getting Real. Good morning. So, Matt, welcome. Thanks for coming. Now, Matt wasn't on the real world. He was like behind the scenes making it all happen. And I remember the first day, I actually met Matt before I met you, Beth, because Matt would call us from the production office and say, hey, John, this is Matt. I'm like, hello, what's your shoe size? I tell him my shoe size. And then hang up and be off the phone in less than a second. He just needed quick information. And it's because, you know, they were having rollerblades in our house for us before we, you know, even arrived. And he had these quick questions and then it was over. It was not even by, it was just like, what's your shoe size? 10 and a half click. There was, there was a reason for that, that shortness, right? Uh-huh. And, and I think this is sort of an important part of working on the real world. It was drilled into us as employees. You are not to be the cast's friend. You need to be strictly professional. You can't form a relationship with them. You can say hello, good morning, and goodbye, but nothing else because the story that we're filming is about the relationship of the cast with each other. And it's not about the relationship with the crew. But I had a very unique position because 
my job was, I was not only was I uh, Mary Ellison John's assistant, they were the creators of, of the real world, but I was also the cast liaison, right? So it was my job to, in the early days in pre-production, before we actually started the production, to get all that information from you. But the most important part of my job was that during production, as you remember, back then you had a hotline, a phone that you would pick up. And the only person on the crew that you were allowed to talk to, other than if you were doing an interview, was me. And so we would talk every day about, like, what are you guys going to do today? Um, and then, you know, you'd say, oh, well, I'm going to go walk on the beach. And then I would quickly hang up the phone and tell the crew that's there shooting, all right, get ready because John's going to go for a walk on Venice Boulevard. And then the crew would hustle and get ready and go and shoot that. And so the the reason, even though I was just a lowly assistant at that time, an assistant to the executive producers, I had all the information. Like I was the only one that had it. And I realized very early on in my career that information is power. And that really helped my <laughs> career because everyone, whether it was the executive producers, the directors, or the or the or the people that were shooting, they had to rely on the information that I had. And so yeah. I was able to take that that position and sort of quickly advance in my career. And because I was fortunate enough to be on a successful show that was continuing and continuing season after season, I was able to climb that corporate ladder and kept, even though I would, you know, I was only an assistant in that first season, the next season I was a producer and then a higher producer. I never let go of that part of the job, which was being your main contact. Yeah. And, you know, funny story, I don't know if I ever told you this, my father during that time, and I never really could say it out loud, especially on television, was he'd been an FBI agent for 28 years. And he told me one time, I don't trust this Matt guy that keeps calling the house. And, you know, they didn't, didn't trust the Matt guy. And I'm like, Dad, he's just gathering information. Yeah, but he's very short and he calls multiple times a day. That's sketchy. And, I, <laughs> I, you know, so just so you know, the FBI was alerted to your, your antics. But I want to know, Matt, did you ever use that power, that 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 knowledge that you had that no one else yet had? Like, did you ever withhold some information about what was going to happen from anybody no, I strategically? Think I, I don't think I ever withheld information, but I definitely got in trouble with with this. And sort of it was a lesson that I learned early on. Um, so I'll go. So Real World LA, the season that you guys participated on was the second season. Uh, first season was New York, as as you know, but my, maybe some of your listeners don't know that. And I saw that first season and that changed my whole career path. I saw that show and I was mesmerized. Like, oh, it was, you know, it was new. It was the first reality show ever, really. And I saw it and I was like, this is amazing. I first read about Entertainment Weekly and saw some photos and, and it. I said, I got to watch that show. And then it came out and I watched it and I just couldn't take my eyes off of it. Back then, streaming didn't exist. So you had to wait a week for the next episode to come out. And I would, like, it was appointment viewing. And I would watch that show I, I believe different than most people would watch. If the cast was out walking on the street, I was looking at the windows they were passing by, trying to see like a reflection of the crew and trying to understand like, how are they doing this show? Like, this is the most amazing thing ever. And so when I saw that show, it, it I, I went to USC film school. I was going to be a film producer. That was my plan. Everything changed when I saw the real world New York. I was like, I want to work in reality TV. I mean, I don't even know that it had a name <laughs> at that point. I want to work on shows right. like that. Okay, so yeah. jump fast forward, and I learned. I heard about this after I got hired. That one of the early lessons they learned was, don't throw pebbles in the pond. As a producer, don't throw pebbles in the pond because we build this trust with the cast, and if you throw a pebble in the pond, that can have great ripples. And so I'll give you an example of something that happened in New York. 
um, things were kind of slow and kind of boring one day and, and, you know, the cast wasn't doing a lot and the producers were like, well, how can we, how can we juice this up? How can we get, you know, how can we get more from the cast? Okay. Eric Nice, this gorgeous model guy that's on the show, we as Beth remembers Eric. That's why she wanted to be on the real world is because of Eric Nice's sexy body. Okay, so, well, Very this is an Eric Nice sexy body story. So the producers knew that Eric Nice had taken photos with a very famous photographer, Herb Ritz. And Herb Ritz uh, did a lot of nude photos. And he had a book, Herb Ritz book of photos that included nude photos of uh, typically young men, super famous photographer, even to this day. And so the producers thought, well, we have this book that Eric is in. Why don't we just put it on the coffee table? It'll stir some conversation. No big deal, right? So they they threw a pebble in the pond. Well, that pebble caused great ripples because what happened was uh, Eric, oh, the, the cast members saw it. They started teasing Eric about these nude photos. He was embarrassed. He was angry at the producers for throwing that pebble in. Um, and then there was a trust issue. Now the cast, all of them sort of ganged up against the producers. How dare you do this? You know, And so they it... Now the cast didn't trust the producers and the producers needed them to be open and, and trust them and, and know that we as producers have your best interest in mind. And so they learned a lesson there, which is don't throw pebbles in the pond. And so when we went to the LA season and when I got hired on the LA season, uh, George for sure, who was one of the you know founding fathers of, of the real world and was the uh, the showrunner of, of your season, and also of New York, said to me, like, be careful, don't throw pebbles in the pond. So flash. Well, forward. we're going to throw we're going to throw a pebble in the pond right now and take a break. And we're going to continue your story in just a second. Getting real. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. 
we're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. We're back with our good friend, Matt Kunitz, who, much to the chagrin and the plan of reality, strategery, he has become our very good friend. And he, he's been a friend to us for, for 31 years. He's a big time, big time producer, executive producer and creator of television in Los Angeles. And he's on our podcast. We're glad to have him. He was talking about pebbles in the pond and, and, you know, to not throw pebbles in the pond. I remember a book being on our coffee table, why white Southerners hate black people was on the coffee, a book on the coffee table. And when we saw that, we were like, holy cow, what are we about? Did, was that there at the beginning or did that just for, show up for, there one day, John? First day, first day, you know, we traveled in Winnebago okay. all the way. So, I mean, Dominic and Tammy and I had, you know, this, this little, you know, this little, these little spats along the way. So we walked in and we saw this on the coffee table. Tammy goes, look, John, and we were just like, oh my gosh. But Matt Kunitz, tell, tell us, tell us about the pebble that you experienced. Inadvertently threw in the pond and, uh, and learned a lesson from it was, you know, my job once we were shooting was that I would call you every day. If you didn't call me, I would call you and I would say, John, what are you doing today? And you tell me, Beth, what are you doing today? And you tell me. And so I think it started with Beth. Shocking that Beth started trouble. And I called Beth. Uh Oh, what did I do? And I said, hey, what are you doing today? And she said, oh, nothing really. And I go, really? You're not doing anything? And she goes, oh, you know what? I think I think John and I are going to go bowling tonight. I was like, okay. So then I called John and I go, John, what are you doing tonight? You go, yeah, nothing. I go, well, aren't you going bowling with Beth? Oh yeah, I think I'm going to do that. And then I call Tammy. What are you doing tonight? And Tammy says nothing. And I go, oh, well, you know, John and Beth are going bowling. Aren't you going bowling? With them? She goes, oh, that sounds fun. I think I'll go, you know? And then I call Aaron and the same thing. And then I got to Dave and I go, Dave, what are you doing tonight? Nothing. I go, oh, well, you know, um, everybody's going bowling. Aren't you going to go bowling? And so by the end of my, whatever, 30 minutes of talking to everyone, I now had sort of arranged that everyone was going to go on this great bowling trip. And I was so proud of myself because like, wow, I created this event. And like, I went to, you know, George and cause that's, that was sort of the, the way it would work. And I said, he said, well, what's everyone doing tonight? I go, the whole group is going bowling. And, and yeah. I didn't tell him that like, well, I'm kind of responsible for making everyone go bowling. So um, everyone shows up at the bowling alley. And at that time, shockingly, you guys weren't getting along with Dave Edwards. And it was like, someone was like, why are you here? And there was a big fight and, and, and everyone was sort of upset that he came and interrupted the fun. And, and then I realized, uh oh, I'm the one that's responsible for this. Because what I should have done is just ask Beth, what is she doing and left it at that? You know, and you created this alternate universe, like in back to the future that never should have probably it ha- shouldn't have happened, happened. Right. And that, and, Nowadays, it's so different in reality TV today. Today, it is, I mean, it's scripted. They they work everything out. Maybe not on the real world. I haven't worked on the real world in many years. I don't think they well, scripted. We just did a homecoming, and Beth and I want to talk to you about how different yeah, it was, well, actually. We went to lunch after that, and you guys filled me in. But yes, we could talk about that <laughs> more. But 
But back then it wasn't. We were purists. It really was pure. I don't remember the book that you're talking about that was placed there. Um, and my guess is that that was, and I wasn't at a high enough level on your season to have made those decisions, but sure, that was probably put in there to stir conversation. Um, but we didn't even give you guys jobs back then. It was like, if you don't have a job, then you're just going to sit around and do nothing. Later on in later seasons, we would arrange jobs. And the most we would do for you guys is set up a cast trip. Uh, otherwise, it was just, well, let's see what happens. And that was the beauty of the real world. It's like, let's see what happens when you know, seven diverse people come together and try to live together. And that's where the drama comes in. Don't mess with that. Let that be real and see what happens. And it was a great, true social experiment that lasted, you know, what, 40 seasons or something. Yeah. I mean, the, the funny thing about that bowling night is I didn't even go. I don't even remember why. But like everybody else went bowling and I didn't. So that's interesting. I didn't remember that. I, I remember why. The whole bowling Maybe incident. you didn't go because you heard that. Well, I'll let John say why you didn't go. Well, well number one, you weren't ready and and you were primping <laughs> and and we left you. We left you at the that house. What it was? And David was at that point trying to flirt with you. This was very early on. And he wanted to stay. So he was on the phone acting like he was busy because he was actually wanting to wait with you and travel with you. And we left both of you. We left both of you at the house and we went bowling. And then David showed up without you and was furious that we'd left him. And then it was such, such a major part of our whole season, that fight at the bowling alley, that when they asked us 30 years later, what do y'all want to do at the homecoming? We said, we'd like to give bowling another crack. And we actually went bowling at the homecoming. That's funny. Oh my gosh. Matt, how do you think when you watch reality TV and you've made a lot of television, what are the what what's the biggest change that you've seen in in reality specifically? Because you know you make shows like like you've made Re Fear Factor and Wipeout, and and those are real life situations. But you know those are definitely planned. But you know when you watch houses, people living in a house trying to coexist, those type of reality shows, what changes have you seen? Yeah. So, ironically, my career, even though I started with sort of the the very first house reality show, real world, is that my career went in a in a slightly different direction where I, I did um, big competition shows like, like Fear Factor and, and Wipeout. And those are a little easier because you're typically, well, certainly not easy. It's maybe emotionally easier because you're not dealing with people's lives and real lives over a long period of time. It's a contestant comes in and they run the Wipeout course and they wipe out and maybe they'll be there for three days and then they're gone. Um, I sort of feel like my career, mostly what I do is popcorn entertainment, these big fun shows that you can, you could watch, uh, you could tune into episode 16. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happened before. It doesn't matter what happens after you could watch it with the sound off. You could watch it with a big group. They're just big fun shows, typically <laughs> the shows that I do. Um, whereas these house reality shows, like, and particularly real world is like, it's the most real world to this day is the most socially important show I I've ever been involved in. And I think some people might think, oh, it's trivial. It's just a bunch of people living in a house. But like we were dealing with things that were, well, for example, I'm watching on Netflix now a scripted show called Heartstoppers, which is, it's an LGBTQ show that it's scripted and it deals with young kids, young gay kids growing up in, in, in high school. And like they kiss all the time on the show. But I remember when I did Real World San Francisco and Pedro kissed somebody, like that was the first time ever on television where like 
two gay men were kissing each other. Like we were, it was groundbreaking. And so like socially, the things we dealt with on that show, you know, AIDS and abortion and eating disorders and race relations and, and gay issues. And, you know, that was huge. And being able to show when Pedro passed away, um, President Clinton gave a speech after he passed away and said that like Pedro became a friend to millions and millions of people through the TV and millions of people learned about AIDS and, and living with AIDS and HIV through him. And that's, there was an incredible importance to what we were doing, even though some people, again, might've thought, oh, it's just a silly MTV show. It wasn't. The shows that I typically do now, there's not a lot of importance to wipe out. It's entertaining. People have fun, but like, I don't know that we're saving lives with Fear Factor and Wipeout. Although Fear Factor has saved some lives. We heard, this is a little side story. You know, in Fear Factor, we do this, we did a, a challenge where they were in a car and the car um, is underwater and they had to escape the car. And so they learned that in order to escape a car underwater, sometimes you have to let the water actually, the door, you can't open it. There's too much water pressure. But if you let the water come up and come into the car, then it balances out the water pressure and then you can open the door. And so, you know, we had a scene like that on Fear Factor. It was like a big challenge and they had to escape the car. And lo and behold, we aired. And, you know, uh, after we aired, I guess a couple months after we aired, somebody flipped their car into a, like into a river and they remembered the Fear Factor episode and it saved their life. So I guess even though Fear Factor is just big popcorn entertainment, we did. So that was some. That's some real danger on Fear Factor. And and Beth and I experienced danger. We had to live with Tammy. <laughs> I still love oh, Tammy. Oh, you know, Tam Tammy wasn't bad. I mean, for me, at least, I think David David, uh, David was uh, was the challenge. I know. And, and in your David reunion, some things never change. Some things never change. Now, let me ask you something, Matt. You knew us way back when in 1993. Now, when you watched The Homecoming, did you think that there was any growth do you, you feel like we've changed or do you kind of feel like we we're all just kind of the same? Well, I loved the homecoming and the New York homecoming too. Uh, and it's interesting, particularly with your group, how you immediately went back into those same roles. Like I know you both as adults, we were kids when we shot your season. I was a kid. I was 23 years old when I was shooting. I was 18. You were 18. But I mean, but we were still contemporaries, right? I was only five years older. I don't think you looked at me as like an old man. I was 23. Um, so we were we were kids. And then we grew up together over the last 31 years, which is shocking. And so I feel like I've seen you both mature. But man, when you guys went back into that house 30 years later, I think it was, it's like you went right back into those same roles, you know? Now, I think that, John, when you were on the show 31 years ago, you were this, you know, very young, naive, and I don't mean that in a mean way, just like this was all new to you and you were meeting people that you, types of people that you had never met before. And if you had met them, you'd never hung out with them before. And that's the beauty of the show. And obviously you've matured so much past that. Um, and you actually on the, on the reunion were sort of that very sort of mature, let's not fight person that might come from your work as a pastor and youth pastor and, and sort of being that mediator. However, it felt like, boy, did you guys go back? Not, maybe not you, John, but everyone else went right back into those roles. And when I say roles, 
just the, who they were when you guys did this 31 years ago. Like, I, but I think that's what was so fun was just seeing it like nothing changes. Yeah. And, and I think, I think being in that exact same house is what made us kind of do that, Beth. I don't know if you agree, but that was the eerie thing about, it's almost like time had stood still. We had all aged 30 years, but they put us in that exact same house with the exact same people. And they're putting video clips of the exact same happening. They poked the bear for sure. When you say they put video, I mean, what it looked like is like every couple hours, they would put a video of like, Hey, let's rehash this fight. Let's rehash this racist yep. comment. Let's rehash this, whatever yep. it was. Right. So, you know, I, I, I know why they did that yeah. in today's environment. Like when we shot your series, we had you guys for 20 weeks, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 20 weeks. When you guys shot this reunion, how long did you have to shoot it? Three like, weeks, three yeah, weeks. We and you had to uh, get actually what? one of those was quarantine. So two weeks, so two weeks. And you had to get how many episodes? Uh, we made eight. We made it, although I don't know, there was that little discrepancy there because we were told like, oh, we, we reached the eight episodes, you guys. So just keep going. And we, we have we have way more content. We're going to have like 12 episodes. For the record, I did not work on that, on your reunion. On that. So, uh, yeah, it was a whole different experience, let me tell you. And, you know, the, the New Orleans homecoming, you know, these incoming messages of the old video clips, the incoming message, incoming message. Well, they called it incoming trauma because they were getting ready to relive trauma. And I thought that was good. So anyway, that was crazy. But we're going to be right back with friend and executive producer and show creator, Matt Kunitz. Okay. And we are back with Matt Kunitz. Matt. We're going to get real with you right now. Uh We've got some fans asking some questions. Okay. First question. People want to know, what advice would you give aspiring producers? Good question. I'll just tell you sort of how I advanced my career, because I think that's, you know, I'm the closest to that. When I started on The Real World, as I mentioned, I was hired as Mary Olson John's assistant. And so I would work from nine to, let's say nine to six as their assistant, and also was the cast liaison. And then at six o'clock, when Meryl and John left, I would get in my car and I didn't need to do this. I wanted to do this. And I would drive to Venice Beach. And our office was probably with traffic, it was like an hour away. So I'd get to Venice Beach. And because you guys were shooting 24 seven, um, I could stay there all night. And I did. And there was no <laughs> such thing as overtime. I mean, it existed, but we certainly weren't following those rules back then. Um, and I would get involved in anything I possibly could. And I'm sure you guys remember, sometimes you'd go to like Denny's at three in the morning and like, oh, there's Matt. He's holding a boom mic. There's there's yep. Laura, who's one of the producers. She's holding a camera. That's because we didn't even have a crew at that point. We couldn't afford to have a crew at that point, but we needed to keep shooting. And so the point I'm making is like, I went above and beyond Every single day. I didn't have a family at that point. I was super young. I had nothing I needed to go home to. So I would work seven days a week, 18 hours a day. And I made myself valuable so that when the next season came, there was no way they couldn't take me. Right. And so, yes, I was a production coordinator and an assistant to the executive producers on season two. And then the next season came and it was San Francisco. And they're like, hey, we're going to San Francisco, Matt. We really want you to come. And I'm like, well, if you want me to come, you have to make me an associate producer. And I made myself just as valuable then, maybe worked even harder in San Francisco. And then the next season, well, if you want me to come to London, you got to make me a, a coordinating producer. And I just kept climbing the ladder. Now, I was very fortunate. So part of it is luck, right? They say like success is like half 
luck and half hard work, something that was a quote, something like that. And I definitely, I would say for me, it was 90% hard work and 10% luck. And the luck was that I happened to get on a show that was successful, that had multiple seasons. Because usually nine out of 10 shows that we make fail. It's just expected. One will succeed if you're lucky. One show will succeed. And I happened to be on that successful show so I could climb the ladder. But if you're not on that successful show and you're lucky enough to get on any show, all of those people working on the show will go on to another show. So if you're the hardest working person, the hardest working PA and you production assistant, and you never complain and you never bring your drama to work, that's the worst thing you do, bring mm -hmm. your personal drama to work. Nobody wants to see you crying in the corner or, or whatever, fighting with your boyfriend at work because that boyfriend works there too. Nobody wants to see that. So keep your drama at home and come to work, be the first in and the last out. And people will notice that. And if the show isn't successful, those people go on to another show and they'll remember you and they'll bring you with them. That's a great answer. And Beth, do you remember when we would just see Matt appear? It took us a long time to realize that this person we were seeing at nighttime was Matt. I think one of the other crew people said, hey, Matt, you know, and we're like, that's Matt. Oh, my God. And you never spoke. So we didn't really ever recognize your voice from our phone conversations. But you held up this the brightest light brighter than the sun. It was actually we called it the sun, sun gun. gun. And we came up we came up with a nickname for you. And do you remember what it was, Beth? No, he would I just don't pop. Great memory, John. Oh, I, I have a great memory. I never forget it. a thing. Special Agent oh, Cunis. Yeah. We thought you were like a special agent. <laughs> yeah, but like, now I remember the, there's a special the, the, the shortened version was SAC, which SAC, S -A -K. Great as special agent. And yeah. you should tell your dad if I didn't make it in TV, I wanted to be an FBI agent. Really? Well, yeah. you'd have been a good one because you just popped up. And when we try to make eye contact with you, you literally would just look at the ground and was like, well, Matt's being rude tonight. Yeah. So, and then we figured out we weren't allowed to talk right. to you. you so guys, we specifically tried yeah, to. You guys did what every other cast member that I ever dealt with on Real World did, which was you tried so hard to become friends with me. And it was hard for me. Yeah. It was really hard. Like I, I remember yeah. a specific, you know, like you would always try to get a little information. You would always be like, and Beth was really good at this. Aren't I your favorite? Come on, Matt. So tell me I'm your favorite. And John would do the same thing. And I would say, remember what I would say to you guys? You're all my favorite. No, I love you guys equally. Yeah, which was a lot. Yeah, so, but 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 since we're on the topic, yeah. you've done many many seasons of the Real World, and who was your all time favorite? I love you guys all equally to this day. Oh, so I love <laughs> even <laughs> even Dave, even Puck, maybe not Puck, but okay. Now we both well, know you're going to text me later and say, John, you're my favorite, but I couldn't say so, that. On the so podcast. there was, you know, we we could never talk to any of you guys, and I remember that Pedro had to give a speech in L.A., and you know. We were shooting in San Francisco and there just wasn't enough crew to go. So they said, okay, Matt, you're going to get on a plane with Pedro. You're going to fly to LA and we're going to hire a local crew that's going to do it. And so I got to sit next to Pedro for this hour long flight. And I sort of broke the rules and bonded with him. And, you know, I'll never forget that because as, as you know, Pedro passed away, you know, right after that season aired. Um, but that bonding you're not supposed to do. And there's no opportunity to do that. This was a rare case where like I had to sit on a plane with him for an hour and it was just him and I sitting next to each other. And But you can't do that. And like, you know, the London cast was doing the same thing you guys were doing, just trying to like, you know, they just wanted, they wanted to know like, who is this man? They were being FBI agents. We got to figure out this guy. I remember I went to a, a play <laughs> in London and lo and behold, just coincidentally sitting behind me was, was Mike. 
for the race car driver. And he, that was the most exciting thing in the world that he actually got to see me out with, at the time, my girlfriend actually met my wife working on the real world. Um, so, <laughs> but I had no drama. I never brought any of that drama to the set. We did not date um, while we were working together. She was at the time in London, she wasn't working on it. She worked on earlier seasons and then she came to London to go to school while I was um, working on the London show. And so we were dating then. So we kept our dating outside of the show. Well, I had never heard that that story about being on a plane with with Pedro. Over all of the years, including Fear Factor, Wipeout, Real World, everything you've ever worked on, multiple, multiple projects. Tell us some other like highlight, really monumental behind the scenes things that, that maybe happened on another show or the real world. Well, you know, as I mentioned before, like like to me, the real world was so socially important. And so that, that meant something to be doing something that we felt had social relevance. You know, I would say like when it, with a show like Fear Factor, it was just to me when I would get impressed is like, we're on, we're on an aircraft carrier. We have somebody who's, who's hanging from a helicopter on a 50 foot rope and the helicopter swoops over the aircraft carrier and lowers this person to the ground. And then they're running and they have to catch up to a moving truck that's about to launch off the end of the aircraft carrier. And they have to climb up the back of this truck because there's a ladder on the back and they got to climb up. Meanwhile, they're still attached to the helicopter and the helicopter is flying sideways as the truck is moving down the runway of an aircraft carrier. And they have to unscrew, it was either, I think it was hand grenades on top of this army truck because or military truck on an aircraft carrier. Um, and they have to unscrew these hand grenades and at the last second, as the truck launches off the aircraft carrier, the helicopter pulls them away. And so for me, moments like that, where I'm looking at this production and I'm like, oh my God, I'm responsible for this massive stunt with real people. These are not stuntmen. These are real people just like you and mm. Beth. It was those kind of moments where, you know, I'd have to pinch myself. Um, very different than what we would experience on, on real world. I'm doing a show now, um, which is the biggest show I've ever done. Um, which is Deal or No Deal Island. And so the idea, and it's for NBC, and um, the idea, and I'm not giving away anything that hasn't been in the press, is that the, uh, the banker has retired to this amazing tropical island, but he still has the desire to play Deal or No Deal. So he's invited people to come to the island and play Deal or No Deal, but first they have to find the hidden cases. And so this is a massive show because... We're shooting 24-7, just like in my real world days. We're really shooting two shows because there's this big reality competition show where they're living in a jungle on a, on a beach. And then at night, they're playing Deal or No Deal. So it is a massive, massive show. I have um, you know a crew of 300 plus people on a teeny island, top secret teeny island somewhere. Uh, I leave in 10 days and I'll be there for six weeks. And so, wow. you know, when I, when I, when I show up and I see like just the base camp that we've built on this teeny, teeny Island, I mean, there's like, there's not a single stoplight on this Island. There's very few paved roads, but we have a base camp that is the size of SoFi stadium, you know, that's our production. And when I see that, like, that's when I'm like, wow, you know, another like pinch your pinch yourself moment where I enjoy it. I mean, you have a very great, perspective on this i mean when you do shows like deal or no deal what's the title island. of it deal or no deal island deal or no deal island 
fear factor, wipe out these huge shows. Do you, do you stop and go, all this kind of started with the real world? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very aware that Mary Allison John and George Vershore were pioneers for reality TV in that first season of, of real world. And I came on in season two when we were still just figuring it all out. We, we were still right. throwing pebbles in the pond. It's come full circle now. Cause as I said, now yeah. it's like, they're not throwing pebbles in the pond. They're throwing boulders in the pond. It's like, how can yeah. we mess yeah. with them? What can we do to, to get that, that drama? And I do well, think that real yeah. world is a unique show where, Again, we try not to do that, maybe not so much on the reunions. And I think that's just because they have so little time to get so much drama out there that they've got to throw this couple <laughs> to get it. Yeah, it was literally, hey, John, sit next to Beth on this couch and face this direction. And now's a good time to bring this up. We're like, what? Oh, yeah, I know. They were like, OK, we want you to have this conversation with John right now. I'm, I'm still a purist, you know, on all the episodes of Fear yeah. Factor and all the episodes of Wipeout. I can't tell you how many times someone would say, well, can't we just fake it with someone and get a better Wipeout or a better, you know, a better, uh, you know, crash on Fear Factor? And we never did. Never. Because I'm a purist. It would be so easy to say, oh, well, that flip of the car wasn't very good. Let's just have the stuntman do it again. Well, made it great. Never did it. I can totally relate with you, Matt, because yes, when we first did The Real World, we were not allowed to talk to the crew members. That was like a big thing that John Murray and Mary Ellis would tell us. Do not talk to the crew members. You're not allowed to have a relationship with them. So that has always stayed with me. Even when I do these challenge shows that like, hey, I'm not supposed to be talking and getting friendly with the crew members. And so a few months ago, I was at Bloomingdale's and I ran into John Murray and I, I kind of felt funny about it because I'm not supposed to. I just have this in the back of my head. I'm not supposed to like really talk to these people. And I think maybe it's still in my head because I'm still doing challenge shows. Um, but I felt so weird and awkward. And I, and I sent John Murray an, uh, a, a text and said, I'm so sorry. Because <laughs> I just felt, I felt so awkward. And I, I just got out of the gym. I looked terrible. And you know, when you look terrible, you don't want to run into anybody. And then now I'm running into the executive producer, John Murray, who I love, by the way. I mean, if it wasn't for him, um, my life would be completely different right now. John Murray, by the way, is the creator of the real world. And I love him dearly. And he, you know, he made my career because, because I was his assistant and they gave me so much freedom to learn. And that was such a great thing about, about the real world back in, in those early days is that the network and the studio being the studio, being the production company, Buna Murray, just let us do our thing. It's so different nowadays. There's so much involvement from the network level, from the studios, from the from the production companies where you don't have as much freedom as we had back then. And they let a bunch of kids, you know, move to San Francisco for a year and make a show or move to London for a year and make a show or Seattle. And they just let us do it. And that was so amazing. And we grew so much from that. And if you looked after the real world and all these reality shows like Survivor and Big Brother and all these shows started popping up, the fingerprints of real world were on all of those because the only people that knew how to do these shows were real worlders. In fact, I was doing real world. I mean, really how my career exploded is I was doing um, real world Hawaii and the Hollywood reporter, which is an industry trade magazine um, wanted to do an article about me. And so they, they came to Hawaii and they, they did sort of a profile a day in the life of this producer. 
And the article came out and it was this two page spread. And it was like a massive picture of me in front of all the monitors in the control room for real world. There's 50 monitors so we can see every room. There's lots of surveillance cameras. And then we can see every camera that we're shooting. And so I was standing in front of it. And for the longest time, because we're doing real world and we're in different um, cities and different countries, we really weren't part of Hollywood. We didn't have that connection to Hollywood, but this article came out right as I was wrapping real world um, Hawaii and all of the agencies and all of the networks saw this article and they all started calling me because this wave of reality was happening and they they wanted somebody like me to come and, and work for them. So NBC stole me from, from the real world and made me an offer that was like 10 times what MTV could pay me. And then I went to NBC and that's where Fear Factor started and and, and the rest. I didn't, I didn't get that. I didn't get that NBC offer. I, I just stayed with, with MTV. <laughs> okay. Tina from Toronto wants to know, what is your favorite season of the real world, Matt? Of course it was LA, Beth. Of course it was. <laughs> Great answer. I mean, look, I loved LA because it's the first season that I ever did. I loved San Francisco because of the social importance with Pedro. I loved London because I got to live in a, in a foreign country, you know, and then I loved Seattle because it was the first season that I ran. And then Hawaii was just like, I mean, who wouldn't love living in Hawaii for a year? I'm 10 months. I was in Hawaii and our house was right on the beach. And my office was in a guest house behind the the cast house. And I had a view of the ocean. Mm-hmm. The ocean was 30 feet away and there would be whales coming by all day long. And, and in the park next to me, people were getting married. So I could see weddings and whales. And then I had my monitors and I could see what was going on in the house. So it was a great experience being in Hawaii every day. So there's a reason why I love every season. Um, it, uh, you know, it will always be uh, for sure. The real world is a, is a highlight of my career. Beth, we're going to play a game with Matt before we let him get away. Uh Oh, okay, guys, we're going to play a game, John and Matt. I'm going to ask you guys to write down in order. Can you write down the first 10 seasons of the real world? Ooh. Uh-oh. I'm in, trouble. I'm in trouble too. I'm in trouble earlier than I thought. One, two, I've only got six. Uh now, Matt, how many seasons of the real world did you work on? Four. LA, wait, LA, San Francisco, Seattle, Hawaii. LA. Oh no. I, um, I oh, wait, 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 wait. I, I know the one I'm missing. London. So I did five. I, I didn't put Hawaii on here and I know better than that. Arguably the best real world ever. Uh okay. Well, I'm ready, but it's gonna be it's not right. Okay, John. Let's All right, I got New York. I got in order: New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, London, Miami, <clears> Boston, <throat> Hawaii. Oh wait, London. Oh, well, let me get no, done. You might be right. London is four. London is four. Yeah. Okay, hang on. Let me finish. New York, L.A., San Francisco, London, Miami. I put Boston, Hawaii, Seattle, San Diego, Las Vegas. Okay. So mine. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna cheat and change mine. I'm gonna. I'll tell you how I wrote it, and then. So New York, L.A., San Francisco, London, Seattle, Hawaii, New Orleans, Boston, Miami, Vegas. But I don't think it's right. I forgot New Orleans. How about so, I get New Orleans? So season 10 was back to New York. Oh, I had New York. I crossed it out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I put that as number 11 and crossed it out. So this is where I, I got messed up. After London, I took a break from real world. And that's what messed me up. And then I came back and ran Seattle and Hawaii. So after London, this is an interesting story. London, I did London. I was like the number two producer and the number one producer said he was going to leave the show after London. 
So I thought, well, naturally I should run the show now. And Mary Elson John thought I wasn't ready for it. And so I said, well, if I'm not going to run the show, I'm going to take a break and leave. And then I went and, you know, matured as a producer. And then they eventually brought me back to run Seattle and Hawaii. But honestly, you, you were ready. You I were ready for ready, the real world. It's fine. I don't yeah. have any regrets. After London, Beth, what what happened after London? What season? Are you good? Give us the real answers, Beth. So after London is Miami. Really? So I had Miami. I had that. And and then what was give give us the one through ten. And then after Miami, it's Seattle. Yep, Hawaii. And then Hawaii. Hmm. And then what do you guys have for nine? I, I, I well that I had New Orleans. San Diego. Wait, right after Hawaii what, was what, San. What, what what came first, San Diego or New Orleans? Well, I would have guessed New Orleans, but sounds like no. John. I, I don't even have New Orleans on my list. I completely forgot about that craziness. Go ahead and tell us one through ten. I can't even. I can't even remember. Wait, hold on, Beth. You made us play a game, and you don't have the answers. That's the number one rule of game shows: is you need to know the answers before you put them out. Are you serious? True story, Beth. What's going on right now? And she's going to try to edit this out, but John, you can't let her edit this out. That she completely failed in her own game. Yeah. You know what? John John has John has the best memory out of anybody. Do you know that John has special powers? Know, you don't need a memory. You need Wikipedia. <laughs> you know this about John? I know, but John knows this. <laughs> All right, guys. Okay, here's the list. But John, you should have known this because, Matt, I don't know if you know this about John, but John can remember anything. Yeah, he's the opposite of me. I forget. No, like he can remember anything. Like I can't remember anything from the 90s. I'll be like, John, what concert did we go to and who performed? He know he remembers everything. So I'm really surprised that you don't have these memorized, John. Well, I have I have many of okay. I had the first seven right. For instance, Matt, do you know on Earth Day in 1993, me and Beth and Tammy went to the Hollywood Bowl and we saw a great concert. Paul McCartney, wow. Kenny Loggins, Natalie Merchant. Who else was on there? St Steve. Uh, can't think of his name. <laughs> Steve Miller Band. Steve Miller Band. Chevy Chase hosted it. But we did. We did not shoot this. They wouldn't let you yeah, shoot it. They wouldn't no let you bring cameras into Hollywood Bowl. Permission. Yeah. It was so great, and and I reminded Beth about it, and she couldn't even remember that we went to that All Star. General, I know, and Paul McCartney's my favorite. I didn't even remember the, the that. The general rule on Real World was if we can't shoot it, you can't go. But we must have been an exception yeah. because that was so cool, and we weren't going to keep you from doing that. Okay, so the first, so here here's the list. Season one, New York. Number two, L.A. Three, San Francisco. Four, London. Five, Miami. Six, Seattle. Or six, Boston. Seven, Seattle. Eight, Hawaii. Nine, New Orleans. And ten, back to New York. So who won? Who was the closest to the ten? Clearly, I was. I couldn't even remember <laughs> all those. I'm gonna I'm gonna let our guest win, and hey, I'm Matt super Clark. super excited about Deal or No Deal Island on NBC. I did I didn't know that you have uh, got this new show, and you're the showrunner. So, how is that different, Matt, than all the other roles you've had? You're actually like you know you're not executive producing. Well, the only so normally I'm the creator of the show and the showrunner. In this case, clearly I didn't create Deal or No Deal. Um, this is this is a massive franchise for the network and and for Endemol, the the Endemol Shine, the production company behind it. They're bringing it back and they want to make it new and fresh and exciting. And they asked me to come and run the show. So basically, I I oversee the whole show and make sure that it gets shot and edited and and put on the air. That's awesome, Matt. Maybe uh maybe a future season you can use um some OG reality stars. You know, yeah. Do you know that any? is not out of the question. 
super good looking country singers. I need some money, Matt. I'm <laughs> out there to win competition. That'd be so fun. I'll We're thrilled, Matt the Cunitz. You have been a great guest for Getting Real with John and Beth. And we know you don't do a lot of podcasts, so we're honored to have you. You're fantastic. Where can we find you online if you wish to be followed on social media? Or where can we look for future projects from Matt Cunitz? I'm actually, I don't really have an online presence. I mean, I have an online presence for my friends, um, but I don't really have like a social media public presence. You'll definitely hear about my shows because they'll... The shows I do tend to be really big and and you'll you'll read about them or hear about them on the radio. And as they come out, I'll start doing press for them and make sure that all your fans know they're coming. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your incredible insights and behind the scenes experiences. I mean, this is just so cool to hear all these behind the scenes stories from you. And thank you for being such a true visionary in the world of television. I can't wait and I know John can't wait to see this new Deal or No Deal Island. And and we hope you come back and talk to us about your new series. We cannot wait to see it. And until next time, keep it real. This is Getting Real with John and Beth. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. You've been listening to Getting Real with John and Beth on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Executive produced by Christian Swain and Peter Firioli. Edited by Michael DeVestia. Produced by Lindley Ehrlich. Hosted by Bess Delarchek and John Brennan. Be sure to follow us on social media on Instagram and TikTok. You can follow Beth at Best Real World and follow John at johnbrennan.com. Also, follow the podcast on Instagram at Getting Real with John and Beth. Until next time, keep it real. Beth! It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.